Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. To the cloud. Here we go. Game on. We need the the kid from Sandlot. Uh. Play ball. Because <laughs> the bleachers are open and the Blums are in the bleachers again. As you see, if you're watching on the Social Nostra Network, my boy David Tuttle is on the other side out there on the left coast. I, Jeff Blum, former major leaguer and current Astros broadcaster right down here in Houston. And my God, it's warming up. I went for a walk today and I think I went through at least one shirt before I came in and changed another one to get through my workout. But we're going to give you an idea of what's on tap. And of course, it's brought to you by our favorite sponsor of all time, St. Arnold Beer, oldest craft brewery in Houston. We appreciate their efforts and we also appreciate their libations. They actually just opened their beer garden, by the way, Tuttle. I know we always talk about coming out here and uh, doing a podcast from there, but their beer garden is now open. Distancing rules are in play, but the food and beer are worth it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the players' proposal to the owners. They 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 came back like both Tuttle and I asked, and especially in Blum's Blast last week, I said, please come back, make a proposal. And there's some interesting aspects to that, and actually some news just came down before we started to record this. But uh, they forgot one thing. They forgot one thing, and I'll get to it. you got to stay tuned for that but they forgot one thing in the proposal and I will get to that. And of course this week has been dominated by the George Floyd. Uh, well, I'll just call it a murder. I mean, it, yeah. we, we saw that in real time and I think it was one of the more horrific things that I've, I've had to see in my life. And one of the more horrific things I've had to try and have the conversation with my kids about. And I total and I are going to talk to it a little bit as far as our own personal emotions but I think we're also starting to see some athletes' voices come out, which I think uh, is, an, is very interesting and very good. And I've got an, I, I want to ask Tuttle, you know, because I feel this way about sport. Did sport help us deal with diversity? Did, did the locker room environment, you know, help us deal with diversity? You know, some thoughts on that and getting inside the locker room and hopefully, you know, giving you a better idea of how Tuttle and I have dealt with the race inside a clubhouse. But uh, that's a pretty sensitive subject. We'll probably take our time with that one. We hope you stay tuned and get through that with us. Obviously, we've got What'll Tuttle Say coming up. We've got graphics and everything because the Social Nostra channel, if you're watching on YouTube, has given us some great graphics to go along with that. I don't think you're going to see the, uh, the, the cocoon scene that we had in last episode when Tuttle oh, was yeah, talking about old, his workouts. The old people working out. Yeah, That's doing good. the pool workouts. And, of course, I've got uh, one more in Blum's Blast. It won't be as intense as last week. It's just a little bit of an update on what I've got going on. And, of course, we keep pumping our podcast. If you're listening, we greatly appreciate you because our fan base is pretty strong. We've created a great foundation. But please continue to sub- subscribe, rate, review, pass it on to your friends and family. Have them listen in because we're enjoying this. And it's been going extremely well during this COVID crisis that we are still going through. And uh, you can go to the YouTube channel, Social Nostra, if you want to get a hold of us. And of course, you can go to bleacherblums.com. But my boy Tuttle has been chomping at the bit. How are you doing, Tuttle? 
Yeah, that's a long introduction. I forget with the podcast. Like if you meet somebody at a party, hopefully you don't have to wait that long, you know, or when you're <laughs> introduced to no, 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 I think no, you're the you're the host of our podcast. I, I, I think it's warranted. I'm saying the podcast format is a little bit unique in that like, even if you're giving a speech somewhere, it's like, you know, now stepping to the dais, it's like brought to you by St. Arnold. Like, here we go. Like, and you're yep. behind the curtain waiting to come out. So you're, pump you're it up. I'm the fluffer. You definitely nailed it. Yeah. Because you know, if I, if you're a fluffer in my house, that takes on a different meaning, you know, especially for my daughters, but, uh, but we can discuss that uh, sometime off there. Yeah, I'm doing well. I have this weird um, feeling. Oh, by the way, what'll Tuttle say? We'll touch on the locker room um, that you already mentioned. So that's good. good. Uh, I didn't tee that up for you, but you just kind of teed it up for me, which is great. But um, I'm having this weird kind of uh, feeling about uh, normalcy. I mean, it's uh, in California, even you guys came out uh, a little bit earlier than we did. But uh, my wife and I went out to dinner last week with some friends, the tables were like every other table. But uh, I, I just, I don't know if I'm throwing caution to the wind, or I just don't have the same fears. But it's almost like, screw it, you know, been through a lot. This is a rough year, you know, yeah, do you get to the point where you're just like, Psh, what, what worse could happen? But I feel like every time we say that, something else happens. But have you gotten to the point in the COVID issue where you're kind of like, eh? Definitely. That's what I'm getting at. Like, I don't yeah. know if I'm being uh, too cavalier or too loose with it. But, uh, you know, our, our kids are playing with the neighbor kids now in the cul-de-sac. And that never really stopped completely. But now it just seems to be like, all right. You know, everybody's back out there doing what they're doing. Their school ends tomorrow officially. I know your girls got out of school last week, oh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, f- the free time. I, I, just jumping around subjects. What you just said about explaining the Floyd situation to your daughters is interesting because they're older um, than my kids are, and so my son may be aware of it a little bit, but he's not really in on social media. And then my daughters, you know, not even on phones yet. So it's actually lessened the load for this week and some of the. Mm-hmm some of the um, serious issues that are going on. Now that doesn't mean we don't discuss subjects like that in the house, but it's certainly not necessary to take a nine, you know, 10 year olds and say, all right, you know, now this is how society works and this is the injustices or these are the injustices that are going on. So um, I guess I got, I got, I escaped that, but um, as far as COVID and everything um, yeah, I kind of feel like at least personally, and it's weird when, you have the same responsibilities that I do We're responsible for this brood of people. It's kind of like, yeah, forget it. You know, let's go out and have a beer. Let's go <laughs> golfing. You know, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, it seems like there's some push from, uh, from my inner self to, uh, just get out there and live life. So. Yeah, it is definitely interesting. And you know what, you bring up a good point about the social media, because I think that plays a big part in what's going on that we're seeing across the country is that social media push. And I mean, there's so many different voices out there and so many different outlets. And that's where I kind of, I don't really step in with the girls and say, this is, this, you're not reading the right stuff. Or, you know, I, I open the opportunity for them to see every angle and, and hear every voice and And, you know, some of it is very disturbing. I try and avoid, you know, you try and do as much as you can as a parent to not let them see the horrors of this world. But right now you're seeing a lot of violence and a lot of hate and that's tough to avoid. But my, my goal, I think is every night, or if I just, if I have an opportunity to get to them one-on-one, I just try and, how are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you seeing? Tell me about what you're thinking. What do you see? And uh, they've actually been really good about 
opening up and explaining it. And I'm not sure if I've done a good job or if my wife's done a better job, which is probably more of the case, but uh, they've been very level headed about it. And they've given me some just great responses where they've been very thoughtful in on both sides. Like they understand the horror of, of it. They understand the anger of it. And then they understand, you know, then, then they're trying to understand, you know, you know, why, why is all this violence? Why does that make it better? So we're trying to talk through that. And you know, to be honest, it's good for me too, because it's a great to have a conversation with them and uh, get those feelings out. But uh, yeah, be thankful that the social media is not a part of uh, your, your narrative in your house, man, because it's, it's gnarly these days. Yeah, and it'll eventually get there. And I try and stay off of it myself. And I think two things. One is what you just said is 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 true about social media, but personally too, as we talk about being a you know uh, a baseball player and grinding it out and just kind of living life one day at a time and and you know taking what comes. I'm just not a very good social activist, and I think we'll t- I'll touch a little bit on this and what'll Tuttle say. I'm with but- you on that. I'm just not a good social activist. I believe that we need to treat people fairly, and you know that partly comes from what I'll touch on later, the locker room, but you know, you just, I just want to worry about my own business. You know, I want to worry about raising my kids, right? I want to worry about being healthy. And I know that the things that we're discussing are relevant to that. They creep in, but I'm just not good at, you know, beating a drum and, you know, being the guy, whether it be a peaceful protest or not, like standing on the street corner, whether it be posting on social media, it's nice to support those causes. It's nice to be a part of it because you know, it's the right thing to do. But it's just not my true nature, um, as verbal as I am on this podcast and how fun, you know, the banter uh, is that we that we have here. I just uh, it's just not in my nature to kind of get out there and kind of rally the troops and get the neighborhood all involved. And so I think in a scenario like this, as you mentioned, it's good to have one on one conversations with your daughters and they're probably all looking at it a little bit differently. Um, And then let me jump, you know, before we get in, let's uh, let's jump into a couple things. What got lost this week was the space launch. See, I have my yeah, you're right. city. Houston, Texas. There you go. And, uh, and we got the, uh, you know, although it was an Elon Musk, like coming out party, that lady kept saying Tesla, they're taking their Teslas. I'm like, you think they would have got somebody that could have pronounced, you know, it's kind of like you guys practicing names, you know, it's like, all right, the well, CEO like, of it's not bleacher blooms. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, learning how to, you know, pronounce Altuve instead of Altuve, you know, it's kind of like, all right, these are part of the job. So they got her to say Tesla like 40 times, but uh, that was obviously relevant in Houston. I saw them go to um, mission control in Houston and I wanted to give a shout out to crush city T. So let me, uh, let me do the quick read here for crush city, crush city T's. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, right, crush city is the place to go for custom H-Town baseball tees with their direct-to-garment machine. Uh, they can make your idea reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors, uh, as you can see, Mr. Blum there. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, beautifully displaying what we have. Yes. There's the, uh, the uh, St. Patrick's Day shirt. Yeah, There's the I'm going for I'm going hat. for the luck, man. We need things to turn around around here, dude. Yeah, and so <laughs> as as I read this voiceover, I realize not everybody's looking at this on video, but Jeff is so uh, adequately and expertly displaying the wares that Crush City Tees has created for our specific podcast. They also do embroidery, screen printing, design and printed in Houston. That's Crush City Tees T E E S dot com. So we can get cranking on that, and uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about the. Uh, space launch since we talked about George Floyd and we talked about the MLB proposal. 
but uh, that is something that happened this last week. And I will say, um, having watched a couple space shuttle launches in my time, uh, mm-hmm. one that didn't go so well when I was young, uh, we oh, had yeah. the, you know, they moved the TV into the classroom and, you know, I mean, it was exciting, but I had a little apprehension about watching the rocket take off and we had the, all the kids and everybody in front of the TV watching the space launch. And uh, it was pretty exciting. It, those things are exciting. I mean, it's, it's just miraculous that we can put people on a rocket and fire them into outer space and have them survive and get them back. I mean, obviously there's a huge risk involved. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the Challenger space shuttle. I've got, there's a patch on that jersey I have behind me that we wore in uh, 2002 or three for a, for a shuttle launch that didn't go extremely well, but there's always risk, but man, what, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's almost, you're seeing every, every sci-fi book or every fantasy that you've had about space come to life. And I think that's part of the fascination of it. And it's a, it's a, it's an incredible joy. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up because everything that I had written down for this podcast is labor negotiations. Are they going to play? Are they not money? You know, sports, COVID, uh, the George Floyd situation. So I appreciate you bringing a, a brief glimpse of, of a ray of light into this uh, two, 2020 year that has just been an absolute atrocity for, for six months now. Yeah, leave it to me. I, we talked about it before. I keep denying that. You were the shining the, light. Yeah, I will. The, uh, leave it to me because I'm the, I'm, the, you know, the, I'm the denier, the truth denier about this being the worst year on record. And I, I, I wrote down something like, you know, it's time to cry uncle. Like, yeah, you know, I'm going to yeah. tap. I'm tap. You got me pinned. This is, this is the worst year that we've we experienced it. as a as a as a global society in a long time if not ever and so yeah we tap out and let's uh move on to the next thing and the and the next year and uh and i'm ready so yeah uncle yeah. on my end so but like you well, said the more serious issues are are exciting to talk about but i thought you know the space launch well, was at least hopeful and optimistic right yeah there's something to shoot for now i mean what that was a successful launch and all that does is catapult them into the next opportunity to get somebody in outer space and who knows the way things are going down here. We may need that moon society set up sooner than later. Yeah. I don't know. That's as long as you're not, as long as you don't believe that the space launch was a, was a conspiracy and that the earth is flat, I think you'll be okay. Otherwise, if you think those two things, then I don't think the year got any better in this last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you say you could be on the other end of the spectrum like, oh, hell's breaking loose. Now they're lying to us, man. That's right. They got the conspiracy going again. Yeah, they sent oh. a rocket into space, you know. And I will say just for conspiracy theorists, because I, I know I'm just hijacking where we're going with the podcast. That's oh, all good, bro. Um, where they've tried to show that... Um, the section one land they were on the ship and the camera blanked out and they're like oh sorry technical difficulties and they came back and the thing was on and they're like on yeah it was already on they're like oh yeah that was just <laughs> yeah so the conspiracy theorists were all over that like oh yeah the camera yeah. went out just when they put it they put it up all right guys stage hands get that thing out there all right yeah okay it, Next scene. The- <laughs> it was so fun that's hilarious good times to be had 2020 sucks so here's some baseball news for you we got a proposal. You heard Tuttle and I talking about it last podcast, especially in that Blum's Blast where I was like, players just need to come out and give it a proposal. And I think it was rather interesting. I do believe it was thoughtful, but it was thoughtful in a couple of different ways. Uh, it was thoughtful in the sense that they wanted to go with the prorated salaries, which I agree with because back in March, uh, the owners agreed to that. Now, there might be a caveat that we don't know about, and I think it might be that the owners said, hey, no matter how long the season is, 
we're going to pay a prorated salary. So now in the rebuttal, which I'll get to in a bit, kind of explains why I brought that up. So 114 games. So the players came out, prorated salaries. We want to play 114 games. We want to start, I believe it was June 30th, 31st. I think it's June 30th. And we want to go through October 31st, have the playoffs in November. And for those of you who are wondering or listening, if you're, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, I'm not, I don't know if they can blur out the bird, but that was basically a big middle finger to the owners by the players because they knew for a fact that the first thing that the owners would do was shut that thing down. Because guess what? If you're playing 114 games with nobody in the stands, guess who gets paid? The players, not the owners. So they knew that was a no-go as soon as they sent that thing out there. But it was, a, it was definitely a, sli- you know, a slight towards the owners going, we know you want to agree to this. Tuttle, you're itching. No, I'm just negotiation tactic. That's all. I'm not itching at all. That's, I yeah. mean, like you said, that's part of the game here. But they put that out there to put the owners on defense too, to expose them to, because what we're finding out and news just came out before I, like I said, we came on this podcast that the owners said, nope, we are not going to do the 114 game schedule. The players knew that for a fact, but like Tuttle said, they wanted it out there. They wanted to expose the owners and now the owners are coming back and there might be an opportunity. Are you ready, Tuttle? This is where I need that one liner. The owners might be looking at an opportunity to, to treat this as a unilateral agreement, not a collective bargaining agreement. No. Yes. So that uh, they have taken the collective, which means ding, 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 us, ding, ding. You nailed it. Where they take everybody as a collective unit and we negotiate a contract. So now that it looks like this is becoming a non CBA event where the owners are going to say, we'll prorate your salary for 50 games, and then we will move into a playoff situation. That's where we're at, and I think that's what's going to happen. So if you have hope for a baseball season, I would go ahead and get mentally prepared for a 50-game season that the owners are going to dictate the rules on. That would leave the opportunity for the players to negotiate the safety and health issues moving forward because that will be the paramount issue once this thing gets set and they say they're going to play. Because I think the reason this came out today so soon, and I'm not sure if you saw this earlier this morning, the NBA jumped out in front and said, we're going to play an eight-game, finish off eight games in the regular season. And for those of, those of you wondering why it's eight games, they have to qualify for their national TV money. And most, I think the extent was maybe seven games that they needed to get, so they're going to get their national TV money. There's going to be 22 teams in Orlando. They're going to play eight games and just play their playoffs. But I think that had a lot to do with what the owners are thinking right now because one thing that we haven't seen with – uh, Major League Baseball that we've seen with the NBA, the NFL, NHL, is that it's all been behind closed doors. And this is that one thing I was talking about that everybody has screwed up in baseball. Shut up, get behind the door, go talk, figure it out. Quit doing this thing on a public stage. It's the only one we have seen on the public stage. I don't understand why this has to happen. And now I feel like the owners are going, okay, door's locked. We're going to dictate. You guys can either show up or not. And I think that's uh, where we might be headed. But the players are down for the for the. Go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say. I mean, I I I know we're in COVID and COVID nineteen and coronavirus has come up on a, the last ten podcasts because we've been in quarantine. I feel like we've been recycling this as well. And you were on the forefront with some of the solutions. We've talked about how hockey and baseball are kind of bringing up the rear in terms of major sports, and they're all trying to get ahead of like what the best way to do this is. You're not going to get any uh, any more viewership or any more uh, butts in the seats or any more um, 
kind support if you don't, like you said, get on the field and join the program. And back to the NBA, I, I mentioned this maybe three or four podcasts ago. I'm really impressed you did your research. But basically, they, the, they ended the season where teams had anywhere from like 62, 63, or 64 games. So as you said, yeah. there's like five, six, or there's seven range, yeah. to get to that 70 games. It's like 70 or 71 they have to play to qualify for, the, as you already pointed out, the national TV money. I don't know if baseball has any of those same parameters in place, but these are things that we've been talking about for a while because of the dollars and cents. But we knew the NBA would have to play a couple of those games so that the playoffs would be valuable. Um, it's almost like a, an elevator clause, they, you know, or like True. an escalator. So as long as you get to 70 games, now you qualify for that money and then we'll run the um, playoffs. But I want to go back to our original point, which is, you know, this isn't a collective bargaining agreement. It shouldn't be a collective bargaining agreement. And we're in a crisis situation that we've never been in before. Um, let's have some fun with it and let's capitalize on the energy and the dollars we have. We mentioned last podcast, I think we're, like I said, recycling is the Bundesliga, the German soccer league, let you purchase a, like a big head or a fat head. Yeah. Get creative. Uh, and, yeah. And then you can put yourself behind the goal. Yeah. You just pay $500 to have your, uh, your fat head figure right there <laughs> behind the goal. Like there's gotta be some other ways to do it. Um, you know, the home run derby, you know, I mean, we just going to recycle these same topics. There's got to be a way to do it to make the fans um, interactive with it. And also to make it fun. Let's not like turn this into a collective bargaining agreement where they're threatening a walkout or a strike or, you know, a situation where we're just going to have the, you know, they're always going to be at odds for who, how we split up the pie. That is, you know, that's ingrained in the system. And yep. everybody will hopefully come to the table, make the right decision, but let's get baseball on the field. Let's do it. I mean, I said before an 82 game season, a 50 game season, boy, now again, 50 game season with playoffs, you can let a lot more teams in the playoffs, but now you're really narrowing the field. Now you got, I'll take the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees and the Astros. Like those are my, you know, those are your teams. <laughs> It's crazy. I mean, you talk about a sprint. It's going to be interesting to see. You might actually see different, you know, managers and front offices work their rosters differently, work their season a little bit differently. You know, do you go to a four-man rotation to make sure that you get your best guys out there as often as possible? It's going to be really interesting how that works out. And you bring up the playoff picture moving from 10 to 14, which it looks like the players have actually embraced because they want to do it this year. They want to do it in 2021. And I think it's actually to your point about being creative and you drop the fun word out there, which I absolutely love because that's one of the, I think that's our goal. You and I is to make people understand that baseball is fun and you got to bring the, the personality and the fun back in the game. And if you turn it into a sprint, we're just going to get to the finish line that gives the Cincinnati Reds that gives the Pittsburgh pirates. It gives the Marlins yeah, maybe not the Marlins or Orioles, but it gives <laughs> some of these other teams. Well, hell, if we catch fire, we might sneak into the playoffs. And it also it's a it's a it's a petri dish. I don't know. It's like a it's a test scenario to see how the fourteen team playoff will work. And then you get to see it in a shortened season. Then you get to see it in hopefully a lengthened season next year. And that moves yourself towards a collective bargaining agreement. And if it does work, guess what the players get to say? Well, look, we gave in on the playoff situation. Look, we gave you a little bit here. Now work with us and giving a little bit back. So this all is a lot of this is posturing and setting up for 2021. But at the same time, I, I agree with you in the sense of the fun and enjoyment. And 
you know, keeping everybody engaged. And how do you do that? You open up the playoff schedule and give them an opportunity. Yeah, it's an experiment, exactly what you said. So yeah. you put your Petri dish in your lab and your lab and you run your experiment right, and cool. then you see what comes out the other side, man. And I, and I agree with you. I mean, I know it's a business. Let's not kid ourselves. All of these professional sports are big, big business, but the guys that play it do it for fun. And, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line they do it because they love to do it. And most of them would do it for free. So, um, you know, I mean, it just happens that it pays well, uh, Mm -hmm. and you, you know, you need to maximize those earning dollars, but, uh, most of us played baseball because we were good at it and, uh, it was fun. I mean, it was a really good way to make a living. Yep. And the players have also, they also mentioned, which doesn't get talked about enough is, you know, these guys actually mentioned, they understand that the broadcast and the product need to be brought to the people and help them understand and enjoy the players a little bit more. So they've actually said, they put in a contract that said that they, you know, being mic'd up in the broadcast is outstanding. They said they're down for it, make that happen, which is great for us. And it really promotes the game and the players within it. Um, To your point about the home run derby, remember we talked about that possibly being an extra innings fix. Uh, we always talk about the NFL being so predominant during the offseason. How about this proposal? They said maybe an all-star game during the offseason or after the season. And they also brought up the idea of maybe a home run derby during the offseason. That might be something that's able to be worked out to continue to keep minds and eyes on the game of baseball. It'd be interesting to see how they worked out or who they chose for that because some guys after 162 games want to use their off season to, to train and relax and rest for the upcoming season. But, uh, well, they I could think- incorporate, I see you just say stuff like that and it gives me tons of ideas. I mean, it's just amazing. You have, no, I mean with uh tiger, we talked about tiger, Peyton, Tom and, uh, and Phil last time. I mean, you could do home run derby with like, I mean, you guys have done it with the Astros. You kind of do the old, like, oh, the yeah, retired guys right. or the veterans. So bring in – I'd love to see Jose Canseco take BP right now. You know, he's yeah. not my favorite guy, but I'm just saying a He'd guy like that. that that's, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah, he, he – he and A-Rod can do their own contest down there in Miami. Like they, they well me, love, me love me some, yeah, Jose says me love me some Jose, like that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. So whatever. I mean, I'm just saying guys that were big and strong in the, in the, in, in their heyday, you could have like an old timers home run derby, you know, something like that. You could uh, have golfers come take, you know, uh, swings, like some athletes like Kepka and guys like that. I mean, you could switch this around if they're oh, not concerned about injuries. Obviously there's other things. I'm just saying, you could capitalize on this in a positive way. I mean, this is the first time I've thought about it. So throwing out some of those guys may not be ideal, but, uh, but it'd be fun to kind of, um, kind of mix and match and make the off season a little more fan friendly and a little more um, accessible. I mean, the NBA does the dunk contest that, that uh, all-star weekend is a huge fan favorite. The home run derby has been, um, has been a really nice boon for the all-star game in that week but it's not as, I don't know if it's as well received, but I, I think it would be nice to kind of do a, like a, you said, like a traveling home run derby, almost like a globetrotters exhibition. And you can yeah, mix and match idea. that any way that you see fit. So. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully they can make it, you know, we get to the point where fans are a little more accessible and open to being able to get to go to some of these events. And that would really enhance the thing. But I always, I always go back to, you remember those old black and white home run derbies? that they had back in what felt like the 60s, I think. You know, it would be Hank Aaron, Mickey Mantle, and these guys. If there was a way to recreate that and have that, I think that was astounding because that was a real opportunity for, for us 
to be able to, you know, we, we know about that generation, but we'd really didn't get a chance to see them play much, but the home run derby was outstanding because they, they, you watched them hit bombs and then they would get interviewed. So you got to see a little more of the human side of it. And I think that's an outstanding opportunity for them to maybe expose themselves a little bit and become vulnerable. Yeah. And I think the reason that the Phil, uh, the Phil and Tiger thing worked so well with uh, Tom and Peyton was because it, you know, raised 20 million for charity. I think um, we're talking about uh, making this fun and making it kind of um, interactive. I think one of the biggest challenges with this is, you know, you, if you make $10 million a year, you know, and you you like that all-star weekend off or you're playing in the all-star game, you don't want to do the home run derby and they offer you 50 grand. If you win the thing, it's kind of like eh, 50 grand, yeah. not really. But if they're going to donate $5 million or they use it as a fundraiser, again, there's so many ways to make this valuable to them. You talked about the Mickey Mantle and the black and white days. You and I are old enough to remember that. I mean, if those guys got 50 grand, it was like, Hey, that was half their salary or, you know, a fifth of their salary. Yeah. It was life changing. So I think there are obviously some kinks to work out if that was something we wanted to do. But I think the spirit of what we say and the spirit of this podcast has always been like, let's keep baseball relevant. Let's make it popular. Like it was when we were growing up and let's find some ways to make it more interactive, especially as we head into this new normal that we keep talking about. No, I completely agree with you. Everything's got to move forward and it may not be to what the players want. It may not be what the owners want, but I think the ultimate, the ultimate thing that has to happen is it has to get on the field to Tuttle's point about being, being available, being seen, being appreciated, being uh, promoted. It has to get on the field. And uh, with that being said, we're going to go into a, a little bit heavier topic, especially this, this, at this given moment in society. And, um, you know, we're Tuttle and I were very lucky, and this is this is a sports podcast by a couple of guys that played you know competitive baseball from our youth into uh, professional levels. So we have a great deal of experience inside clubhouses, inside the team dynamic, and I I believe, and I don't know if this is you know uh, a popular idea or not, but I feel like, you know, those clubhouses are little miniature societies within themselves. And, uh, you know, players are starting to speak out most, you know, mostly in the NBA because there is a much higher, uh, you know, a, a much more popular, much, much higher number of African-Americans playing, you know, uh, basketball and football. Uh, there are a few in baseball, but uh, it, that number seems to be dropping a little bit. And there's societal issues with that. There's, uh, you know, there's so many things involved with that. I would love to have that conversation with somebody, you know, in the future on why, you know, African-American numbers are dwindling in baseball because it's not for lack of talent. But uh, one of the things is, you know, in our, in our little society, we find a way to function. And there's a great article in The Athletic uh, with uh, Doug Glanville moderating it, and was basically just question and answer with several retired African American ballplayers, mostly my contemporaries, Latroy Hawkins, uh, Jimmy Rollins, uh, Dontrell Willis, and uh, uh, Tory Hunter. Uh, there were a couple others involved in there. But when I always, when I wrote down in my notes, you know, what is it inside that clubhouse that really defines a society, and how we how we work with each other? Because I'm going to let Tuttle talk about this a little bit too in his experience. But when I'm in the clubhouse. I never saw a guy for, you know, his color. I mean, there's, there's Latin guys, there's, there's Asian Americans, there's 
you know, and then the African-Americans and us. And when we got in the clubhouse, man, I, and this is from youth too. And I greatly appreciate my parents putting me in sports as a child. Uh, it, you know, it taught me responsibility. It taught me accountability. It, co- it taught me passion. It taught me work ethic, but it also taught me how to deal with other people. And I use that term broadly because it didn't matter to me who was on my team, what color they were, for God's sakes. I wanted to go out there. And this is where I think that commonality and that common understanding is what really got everybody past what color was on your skin is that we wanted to win. Every guy that went out there, we were going out there to try and win a ball game. We were going to try and go out there and dominate and embarrass and abuse and, and beat up on the other team. And I use those in competitive sports terms and it didn't matter to me who was standing next to me the fact that matters he was standing next to me and that's all that mattered to me so hopefully we can return the favor to them in in these tough times but that was the common understanding and through reading the article I think it was Tory Hunter I I mean God you know God help me if I'm wrong but I I read it and there was a specific line where he said when we were in the clubhouse we all had a common theme We all wanted to win a World Series championship. He goes, it's when I got outside the bubble of the clubhouse or the team or the stadium is when I got back into the United States of America where there was not a common goal. And that really hit me. And I I think it makes a lot of sense with a lot of the stuff we're seeing now, both politically, societally, is that the system is not out there to achieve one goal for the greater good of all. And uh, I'm just going to kind of let that hang there for a little bit and let Tuttle jump in about his experience in the clubhouse. But I thought that was a very profound statement and I couldn't agree with it more. It is profound. And I think um, without, uh, we'll have to get on social Nostra, um, our editor about the uh, what'll Tuttle say graphics, because this leads right into what'll Tuttle say. So we'll do a, a little subversion of what'll Tuttle oh, say, so but I mean, I don't want to cut in on what'll Tuttle, but I know. I hope no, no, he does no, that's, on it. yeah, we don't need the, yeah, we just don't need the segments. Cause that, that might, I my agree. Topic, we can throw the segments out. Yeah, right? that's Cause right. this is way more important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I just, I, I wrote down a couple of things. One is, um, we joke about this all the time because locker rooms, as we know, and, and I say this with a smile, um, getting rid of the steroids and the cheating scandal. I mean, Locker rooms are not the moral high ground for how to behave in society. I mean, the pine tar, <laughs> the pranks, you know, their steroids, the, the whatever trash it is. Trash cans, whatever. Exactly, right. So they're not the moral high ground. But what they are is, is probably the best place to uh, get an understanding of how people can get along. And I think that you just articulated that really well, or Tori Hunter, or whomever brought that up on in the interview, uh, articulated it. But it was we, everybody had a common goal. We just wanted to win. And I didn't even think about it, that that was what bonded us all together. I mean, basically when the general manager or the minor league coordinator says to you, all right, you're going to go play in double A in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know, it's a very selfish feeling. You're like, yes, I made the team or, oh man, I was hoping to go to triple A and now I'm in double A, whatever that is, it's all about you. And then you get in that clubhouse with 25 other guys that are in the same exact boat. Basically, the yeah. GM and the minor league coordinator said, you're going to go here and you're going to go there. And guess what? After that, it doesn't matter. I think um, I was rehabbing one year, I remember, and most of the rehab guys, uh, the like the uh, extended spring training were Dominican guys, and they started calling me. So Turtle is Tuttle, Tuttle Turtle. They started calling me Tortuga. Tortuga. So I was Tortuga. 
the whole time. Like I, I wasn't offended by that. It didn't bother me. It was really fun because it was inclusive and you're in this, in this locker room environment. But I think back to your original point, I think it is because we had a common goal. I mean, we're, you know, we talk about being uber competitive. And then when you get outside of that, um, I've talked about my fitness routine now, um, aside from, you know, our fallen soldiers and some, uh, peace officers and things like CrossFit is really fun to challenge yourself. So there must be some sort of chemical, uh, either imbalance or balance in my brain that is always striving for that competitive thing. But man, like you said, the guys that you didn't like in the clubhouse were never based on the color of their skin. It was based on how hard they were playing or <laughs> the true. effort they were putting forth. Yeah. That's all it was. How hard are you playing? Do you have my back? Do I have your back? That's all you base that on. And I think to your point, if we took that at a higher level in society, like, you know, are you pulling your own weight? Are you working hard? Are you trying to live off somebody else? Or are you trying to pull your own, you know, kind of, you know, make your own path? I just think that all of that stuff attributes to that. And, and locker rooms get a bad rap. That was my overall theme here. Locker rooms get a really bad rap for like, you know, like you said, like just hijinks and pranks and, you know, guys are doing steroids and these guys only care about winning and cheating and all that. Yeah, maybe some of that stuff goes on. Um, you know, you've told me some hilarious stories. That donut story cracks me up. Like somebody taking a bite out of every donut in the clubhouse mm -hmm. and seeing how everybody reacts. Um, the bottom line is, they're not the greatest for that, but they're awesome for understanding that we're all human beings and understanding that we um, can all get along and that we do share mostly these human values and these human instincts that are that go, you know, across every single culture, boundary, skin color, whatever that is. And I think that's why athletes have such a hard time when they do get outside of the clubhouse, because it's like, wait a second, this isn't something that I'm used to. And um, I touched on this at the outset, as well as, um, you know, these athletes are good athletes, but we don't necessarily have the voice or want to be social, um, social justice folks or social activists. Um, we should, you know, treat people the way we want to be treated. We should, you know, love our brothers, we should know that we're all human, we should know that we're all in this together. And that's a good kind of um, compass, a moral compass to, to, to live by. But I guess the overarching point is locker rooms are not the greatest uh, judge of, you know, of everything in society, but they certainly are outstanding for something like this. And I think we could all learn a lot by getting into an NBA locker room or getting into a, a, a football locker room or a baseball clubhouse. Uh, I think many um, friendships, many bonds, many, um, foundations for how you move forward in life have been built in there. And I think it's a, it's a, it's something that people could, uh, could look to understand a little deeper. I agree. And it, and even, you know, in our experiences, you know, we think we, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm, I'm opening my eyes to is you think you understand, or you think, you know, these guys, but you really don't know what they're going through. There's no way for us to understand what they've, what, what their, what their ancestry has gone through or what their, their parents have gone through or even what those guys are going through because they handle it so good. And there's even conversations in that article where they said, you know what, sometimes it just felt like the locker room wasn't a place to bring it up. And I feel terrible about that. And I hope that, you know, that changes a little bit because now I'm, I'm more, you know, you talked about activism earlier and I think that's where we need to kind of, you know, trigger things a little bit. And in activism for me, doesn't necessarily mean getting on social media and, and, you know, tweeting things out or, making speeches or things like that. I think activism for me right now, the way I think about it and what I've been, you know, seeing from 
you know, other African-American uh, athletes that I know that I follow on Twitter and social media is listen, just, just listen and, you know, try to understand, learn. And, uh, you know, that was kind of to your point we talked a little bit a couple days ago when this, I think when this thing was going down and, you know, I think it's, it's a teaching, it's a learning, it's the ability to listen, but it's also training. I mean, I think this whole, you know, the police system needs to be retrained to deal with some of these situations because it's been absolutely uh, moronic, you know, the things that they've been able to get away with. And this is speaking from a guy who, you know, ha who's very closely, you know, works very closely related to somebody who is in the law enforcement business, who was absolutely appalled at what happened out there in Minnesota. So, I, and he even said to the point, you know, we need to retrain these things. We need to be trained to handle these, these situations. And I think it, you know, if we all learned and listened a little bit better, we might be able to work together a little bit, but it's going to take some serious time. And I, I can't get off the point that you made about, you know, it just kind of, it kind of sounded like you made it in passing when you were talking about in the clubhouse, the guys you didn't like in your clubhouse were the guys that were just absolute dickheads, you know, and were doing it for themselves. And I actually, I, I wrote it down, like what, you know, what was I looking for, you know, what in the clubhouse kind of, you know, separated or, you know, made me not think about the color of your skin, which I never did is our, my focus was on ability, strengths, and attitude. And that last one usually dictated whether or not I wanted to hang around you or not. And, I, and you know what, I think accountability is something else that's really missing in uh, some leadership roles across the country and in those power positions is the accountability. Because, you know, with the four, four guys that got arrested in Minnesota, one guy was on, on George Floyd that left three opportunities for somebody to stand up and go get him off him and say, this is not right. And that's probably another thing that we're lacking in this, in this current moment. And it's going to be tough and uncomfortable uh, to be in there, but the accountability has to be taken too in this, uh, in the, in this current moment. And accountability is across all the spectrums. My dad has been dead, gosh, 15 years. And we used to talk about just personal responsibility and accountability then, you know, 15, 17 years ago, that that's the thing that most bothers me. Um, we both played with guys to get it back to sports a little bit who, you know, I knew a guy who would, you know, hit a ground ball to short and try and beat it out. And as soon as he stepped on first, if he was out, he'd come back and he'd be like, all right, I'm one for two. That's 500 for the day. My batting average is 278. Okay. And the next at bat, he gets a base hit. Yes. I'm batting 280. Like, I mean, he, he could calculate his batting average so quickly. He was all about himself, not a well-respected, not a well-liked teammate. And, you know, he probably stuck around longer than he would have because his ability was good, but guys didn't really want him on the clubhouse and, and in the clubhouse and people forget about that. And I think that kind of, again, we expand that to society. I mean, if you're accountable, I've watched, I used to watch a show Cops all the time. And I was thinking about this deeply today. That show, you know, there's a lot of guys, well, you know, I was drinking, you know, throwing bottles at my wife, whatever it is, you know, there was a lot of that kind of stuff and how the police officers handled it, right? This is not this is a couple of bad actors that weren't trained well yeah, because true. the one guy is like, you know, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about my safety. I don't have any backup here. I'm going to put you in handcuffs. I'm going to have you stand over here. Um, this is obviously irrespective of race. So I don't want to get into so much deeply, you know, who gets targeted and all of that. I'm just saying the way the guy communicated, that's what I'm specifically speaking about was 
I'm going to put you in handcuffs. I'm going to have you stand over here just mm -hmm. so that I can search the front seat and I can feel safe. Is that okay? And most people are like, you know, regardless of what they're doing, they're like, yep, that sounds fine. Like just communicating like a human being. Okay. I'm going to have you sit over there. I mean, we're just dealing with people that guys trained. Well, if you talk to special operators, I mentioned this last podcast, you know, guys in the military, they talk about the extensive training they go through. So that way when they get shot in the foot, you know, they don't freak out. They've, you know, they've dealt with this before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the training for the police officers that I, I tried uh, to watch that video in, in depth and it, you know, it's, it's, it's sickening. awful. Yeah. It's terrible. But the guy that I kept focusing on, forget George Floyd and the guy was the guy in front, the little guy um, who just looked scared. He looked like he was horrified to do his job. And as you said, there's three other guys standing there that could at least make a wrong or right. And it just looked like they didn't have the training. And I think that goes to your instincts. But anyway, back to all I'm saying is you got to train to do your job. You got to enjoy your job. We said this when I played in the minor leagues, we had a bus driver that you get used to get lost all the time. And this may sound harsh. Um, a big leaguer that we both know, a friend of mine, ex roommate, um, this is, of course, before the time of real cell phones and GPS and whatnot. We were lost in Maryland in A-Ball. And uh, we pulled off at a truck stop so the guy could kind of make a phone call and, you know, figure out where he is. And they had a maps machine, you know, put in $2.50, get yeah. a map. And we all chipped in quarters and got a map. And we pulled the, you know, the thing and the map fell out, got a highlighter. And we just, we drew it and they put it on the front of the bus. <laughs> they put it right to the windshield. And the guy got on he's like you know he ripped down the map like oh yeah it's really funny guys he's like why don't you guys win some ball games you know he kind of got a little bitter and we were like look you have one job i mean you chose to be a bus driver yeah. you know what i mean and maybe it's a part-time job or maybe it's the fill-in job whatever it is but you know you have that one job do it right do it right do it well there's nothing wrong with a job well done and i feel the same thing now like you know these guys chose to be a police officer i don't know if they chose it because of benefits i don't know if they chose it because of whatever else but you chose to be a police officer. Be the best damn police officer you can be. Follow the training. Follow the protocols. Learn what it what it takes. Be a people person. How can you be a police officer and not Take be a pride. people person? Take pride in your job. And you can see it when people are confident. That guy, I mean, we know what right and wrong is. I mean, point. if he had just stepped up and said, look, I know what right and wrong is. My training may not have covered it, but let's like, let's regroup. So again, uh, you know, this is not to get on bus drivers, not to get on people that do their job well, but you know, it, whatever it is you choose to do for that day, maybe it's not your, you know, your permanent job, your full-time job, do it well, do it well. I try and teach that to my kids. I'm sure you do as well. Like, you know, if you're going to put your name on it, then you got to do it well and do it right. And that may come down to training that may come down to, you know, how you were raised that may come down to whatever else, but let's have some personal accountability and let's be confident and comfortable in what we choose to do. And I think, again, a lot of that stuff will go away. I know that's a little surface for in terms of the racial issues and what, you know, as we said, we're not able to put ourselves in their shoes and understand historically um, how they're feeling, how they've been treated, all of that. But I mean, we got to start somewhere. And as you said, maybe we should, you know, shut up and listen a little bit. But man, from our standpoint, let's, 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 uh, Let's do a better job of being accountable and doing things the right way. Yeah, I think it's okay to listen. And I think it's, it, you know, it, it's pride, it's respect in who you are and how you treat other people. It's pride in what you're doing to Tuttle's point of, of doing it well. Um, man, 
Yeah, just 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 listen and be there. And you know what else is another thing that I think that uh, you know in this day and age, I mean, it seems like things are so cut and dry. You know what? It's okay to be wrong, too. You can be wrong, and you can learn. The other person can have a valid point. I think it's okay to admit that we have been wrong in how we've been handling this situation for a very long time, and it's unfortunate that this man's death became a flashpoint and exposed it. And hopefully things do turn around and things do change for the better for all of us because it will get better. It it will get better for that community, but it will be better for the entire community too. I think if we can all understand, listen, learn, and move forward from this. But uh, that's just a brief. You know, I try to we try to adapt everything to sports in this, and that was just our attempt to kind of give you an idea of how sports can be great for kids. Uh, in helping them learn that accountability and learning that uh, joy of doing well and working inside of these smaller, you know, micro societies and dealing with others and appreciating what they bring to the table uh, without thinking about uh, the initial reaction of color of skin. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciate you bringing it back to the central point, right? We're not here necessarily to speak about, you know, racial relations or, you know, how that Yeah, I just situation... don't know enough about it, man. Exactly. You know, how that could have yeah, how that could have been better. But if we bring it back to the sports and youth sports, man, all we cared about was winning baseball games, regardless of whether that was Little League or, you know, moving on up the ranks, football, anything like that. And you cared if your your teammates were accountable and, and yeah. good teammates, if they worked their butt off. So those qualities would go well in society. But I, I appreciate you bringing it back to the, you know, the the center point, which is like, that's what we're here to talk about is like, get your kids involved in sports, um, let them see all sides up and down and, uh, you know, expose them to uh, a greater uh, general population of people. And you will mm -hmm. have a better understanding of um, of how the world works, which is really what's important. Yeah. Do you have, a, I, do you have a Blum's Blast here? Are we going to go um, into Blum's I Blast? Do, did you touch on I, I kind of do a little bit. It's more of an announcement, but uh, right. just just one, one point on uh, one last point that I and I know we have a lot of listeners in Houston, but I, I am grateful to be in this city for a lot of reasons, but I am most grateful because it is, it's, it's been documented that this is one of the most diverse communities in all of America. And at that also, you know, I moved here by choice because I had a job, but at the same time, it has been such a blessing to be able to come into this community and have my kids be a part of it too, because there is so much diversity. They get to see, kids from all over the world, parents from all over the world to see how different cultures work within. And, you know, so it's been eye-opening for us. And uh, I highly encourage it because, you know, I think that's really helped my daughters in the sense of being able to understand and see and interact and, and learn how to act with those people and in respecting their their are, are you saying do. that houston's a bigger melting pot than san clemente i find that Dude. really really hard to believe but you know just oh. just a little bit <laughs> just a little bit yeah. but that but that's just a, that's just another ode to the city of houston and, and i try and do that every chance i get because i do i do enjoy be, uh, being here but uh one last uh that's right h tab um but yeah blum's blast just real brief i am going to work this weekend and by the time you guys get this podcast and you're listening to it or watching it on the social Nostra network, 
I will be calling college baseball games. There's a college summer baseball invitational going on up in Bryan, Texas, near College Station, where Texas A&M is. And there's going to be six teams, about 90 players. And Latroy Hawkins, a very good teammate uh, and friend of mine, is going to be coaching one of those teams. I believe Drew Sutton is another player who's going to be managing one of those teams. But this will be the first live televised baseball in America. And I couldn't be more stoked about it. They're going through all the health protocols. They're putting everybody into this bubble, sequestered bubble up there in, uh, in, in College Station. I'm going to get tested for COVID-19. And if I am testing negative for it, then I get to go call some baseball games. I'll be, I will be working with ex-Astro uh, radio play-by-play uh, -play guy, Brett Dolan. So it'll be great to see him again. And Former Tucson Sidewinder as well. When there I was you there, go. he was our guy. I know Brett well. He's a great guy. Awesome. It's outstanding. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I think he was a Stanford guy. But, anyways, <laughs> no. yeah, we won't hold that against him. I mean, that's so funny. I love that you're on my side on that part, by the way. But uh, it's going to be a showcase. And what's interesting about this is that, you know, obviously, given the circumstances, to be able to be on live TV and, and show some baseball is going to be outstanding. The talent should be really good. And it's also leading into a Major League Baseball draft, which I believe is on June 10th. And what's great about this, too, and about baseball and promoting the product is I believe that ESPN and MLB Network are both going to be televising the five rounds of the Major League Baseball draft. So I think that's, you know, that's actually a step forward, even though it's only five rounds, at least they're getting the exposure and putting it out there. They don't have anything to else to names. televise. Like, you know, well, ultimately that's can... what it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, we need content. We'll go there. Yeah. It's great for the guys. Like I said, I mean, they're, mm -hmm. oh, that's a subject we didn't touch on either. They're throwing away the minor leagues. So the minor league guys are like paring down well, quickly. We'll touch well, on that. That's the thing eventually. too, man. I mean, as far as this, this, uh, this working agreement that the owners and players, the owner's side, you know, dude, they're taking away minor league teams. They're taking away draft positions. I mean, this thing, they're, yeah. they're saving some money by getting rid of scouting, uh, drafts, minor league teams. Oh, my. Yeah. Man, yeah. that's a whole. That's, I know. Yeah. That's a whole. That's like eight podcasts. We'll follow up with that. Anyway, yeah. sorry. So this weekend, is there a way we can watch it? I know that's not yes. a planted question, but can we get on the internet? And no, watch you're right. It? We're plugging this thing. Let's plug yeah. away. All right. No, if you, if you go to. Jeff, tell me, is there a way I can actually watch <laughs> you and Brett go to work and watch this college showcase? <laughs> yeah. So what's great is it's going to be a pay-per-view event. And you can go to csbi2020.com and you can uh, you can register there to stream it on, man, I think it's like Hulu, a bunch of these uh, different platforms that stream. You'll be able to watch it live and part of the proceeds will be going to No Kid Hungry. So there is a, you know, there is a charity aspect of this thing, which is, which is awesome. And I've tweeted it out a little bit. I'll tweet it out again. But uh, yeah, csbi2020.com. You'll have all the information you need, the timing of the games. It's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, double headers until we crown a, a victor at the end of this thing. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see. And I, I love the fact that it's going to be college baseball because I think one thing you and I agree on, when you're not playing for money, you're playing for the purity of the game. And that's what these college guys are doing. They're trying to play for the purity of the game. They're going to showcase their talents. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, college All-Stars, I'm sure some of the uh, draft picks are being advised by agents or uh, advisors not to play. But, I mean, is that what it is? Mostly college All-Star type guys, like a senior yes. bowl? 
Yep. No, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how it worked as far as liabilities and things like that, but there were a lot of agreements these guys had to go, you know, loopholes they had to jump through to uh, be able to get in this as far as uh, qualifying to be able to compete here. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of the rosters. I mean, this print is so small, but I mean, this is the list of guys and I mean, it's, you know, it's from Oregon State to University of Virginia. So, I mean, nice. these guys are across the country that are volunteering to come out here and do this thing and mm-hmm. showcase their talents. Well, I would, I would do the same thing. As I said, I, I'm feeling like I'm going to treat society like normal, uh, normal uh, risks and rewards. I mean, if these guys are on the cusp of not being in the top five rounds, since both you and I felt like we're drafted really high and I didn't make the top five rounds and Neither did you. That's right. Seventh round pick, and I was in the sixth round. So we were close. We were creeping up, but we wouldn't have been drafted in this scenario. How crazy is that to think about? I know. I read an article just off the subject about Heath Bell today. He was a 69th round pick. So you know, it's a former teammate of yours. So oh yeah, he's special. Yeah, well, he's special in many ways. That I read a really that article is on the Athletic. Maybe you read that. That was funny. But uh, I got to live it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 69th round though. So talk about. But I mean, that's the thing, though, is I, I, I really feel, you know, Tyler White was another guy here in Houston that we talked about and who actually contributed quite a bit. He was a 33rd round pick. I mean, yeah. Dallas Keuchel, I want to say he was late, you know, 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. He won a Cy Young. And that's where, yeah. are you going to be able to see those guys again? Oh, man. Yeah. Whole Tangents. other podcast. Tangents, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you're on T or you're on, you know, on streaming services this weekend and you get to work, which is nice. So you can still support the podcast with your dollars here, our, our yeah, expensive buddy. microphones and setup. No, uh, anyway. Yeah. The little fuzzy microphone. Yeah, th- this is my microphone. This isn't my Chia pet or yeah. something. Well, it's nice to have a laugh on here. We know there's a lot of things going on in society that are making uh, these days and months kind of stretch out uh, longer and longer and longer as cabin fever grows. We have much to be thankful for, as I pointed out in what'll Tuttle say last podcast. Amen. Let's uh, let's pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Let's uh, look ourselves in the mirror, give ourselves the old, old spice, like uh, yeah. face slap. And uh, let's be good people, man. Let's get out there and make ourselves better. And I think that's ultimately what this starts with because we talked about activism. If we look in the mirror, this is so funny, like, you know, the journey of a thousand steps uh, starts, starts with the beginning, starts with step one. You know, if we work on making ourselves better humans and raising better children, I mean, you know, what else can we do? I think people often say that their vote doesn't matter and that, hey, if I... You know, if I don't pick up trash, it doesn't matter because everybody litters anyway. I mean, oh, that's man. kind of the, that's the, it's starting the spiral down the drain. If we all try and be better people and raise better kids and kind of look in the mirror and, um, you know, treat ourselves the way we would want to be treated, I think, man, that would be a hell of a start. And I know we don't have a global following. Well, we might have a global following, but it's a small amount of folks. Um, if we all can kind of take heed those words and uh, be better people, then uh, the world tomorrow will be a better place than it is today. Absolutely. I have nothing else to say that other than thank you to all first responders, military frontliners out there still fighting this coronavirus and to uh, all the essential workers out there and everybody getting back to work. Uh, we pray for your safety and well-being. But man, tell you crushed it, dude. I'm, I'm going to let you run this thing out. You know what to say. Uh, yeah, everybody podcaster listeners vodcast listeners we encourage you at the bleacher blums podcast to get after it and believe it